everyone, thanks for listening. So this is a new podcast, it's Talking It Out About. So each time that we do one, it will be about something slightly different. We're going to focus at the minute about um, functional neurological disorder um, and we'll see where it takes us. Hopefully we can have a couple of people come in and join us and give us their side as well. Um, So stay tuned and see what we've got planned. So the point of this is to share information and knowledge that we have acquired through our own journeys with FND, whether that be from the person with it or a family member who helps look after someone with it. So, And I completely agree, but at the same time, my insides shrivel when you say, <laughs> when you say journey, and I'm like, ugh, journey. <laughs> Like, not because of the band, but just, ugh. Like, it makes it sound such like a thing. It is know? a thing. Just a thing. It's just a thing that happens. Like, maybe that's the, like, maybe that's part of my approach, is that it's just a thing. You know, it's just another thing. Like, oh, stub my toe in the door. Like, this hurts. This sucks. Yeah, but I And think... it's going to be a rubbish period of time, and then we'll... Yeah, but then it's like a journey, isn't it? You you may start off, and it might be a really hard journey, but then you eventually get somewhere that's really good. Yeah, but no one intends to stub their toe, and nobody intends to get FND. It's just I'm like, not saying Ugh. anyone does intend to get FND or stub their toe. If only there was a meme I think it's I think it's just a positive way of phrasing it, that's all. No, because I know you don't go on journeys you don't want to go on. I don't want to go on this journey. This is like... Something ba- bang, ow, that hurt, and now I'm just struggling. I'm recoiling from the pain for a little while. Okay, and so how would you phrase it? We endure FND. <laughs> we endure FND because we were careless. We didn't plan our lives properly. We should have thought about this better. And we've made bad choices in the past. Uh, I think it's worse. We made bad choices in the past, and we need to do things better in the future. Next time we'll be more careful. Because it really hurts to stub your toe. And it really sucks to have FND. So what you're saying is FND is like stubbing your toe. You learn well, from it and yeah. you end up wearing shoes to make sure you don't stub your toe. And you say to yourself, I'm going to be cautious. And I'm going to make sure I'm looking after myself for a while. And then after a bit, you forget. And then you stub your toe again. You're like, every time I think I should be paying attention. And you don't. So yes, it's like mindfulness. Mindfulness of paying attention to your life and your surroundings but you... Stub your toe. You stub your toe because it really hurts. And, ev- <laughs> and ev- it's universally hated. Like, no one would think of it as a big problem. And then suddenly, when it hits you, it's the only problem that you're, you know, you can even... You even have the your world just space. revolves around the yeah. fact you stubbed your toe. I have stub toe syndrome. I have STD. <laughs> oh, that's not, that doesn't work. Well, that's like, well, either way. There you go. So there's your three-minute introduction. <laughs> That's our, our, broadly, that's the views we have on, on FND, or STD, as we're now going to call it. Is that it's just like stubbing your toe. Yeah, it's just like having an STD. Uh, so, <laughs> why, you haven't actually said, why, um, why you want to do the podcast? I have. We then went into you stubbing your toe. Was that this one or the previous no, one? No, that's this one. That's oh, okay. the same one. Okay. So, I mean, you get a lot of, I don't really see your your Facebook page at all, but you get... I mean, how many messages do you get? Like, I don't know how Loads. often they vary, don't they? At least a couple of week. A couple of week, yeah. And I guess there must be an element of you just saying the same thing over and over again. In to, a way. To, within a way. So I suppose at least something that could come from this is that if you broadly put out, like, the main points, you know... The main you, things I get asked yeah. in one place. Because then people, some people, you don't know, they will not want to reach out for whatever reason. Mm. So if they can hear something... Well, you're still going to be telling them the same answer. This could be a way of helping them, I suppose. Yeah. I think the main questions I get asked are, like, what can I do? What is it? How can I support my friend, my family member mm. with it? Those seem to be the main questions. And that's a good starting point, especially if you've got no idea what it is. So FND is basically a software problem. It's where your brain decides it's had enough for whatever reason and it decides to pull all the wires out from their normal plugs and put them in different plugs. And it just means that you forget how to walk or you forget how to talk or you forget what your name is or whatever it might be because it's rewired itself incorrectly. So the the wire that would normally tell you how to walk has ended up in a different place so therefore you can't remember how to do it. So it's not a hardware problem it's not that you have a broken bone 
it's not that you have a tumour, it's just that your brain decided it wanted to rewire and that's not the most helpful thing for a brain to do, mm. but it is what it's done. Um, it's like a computer in the fact that when the computer has a screensaver on, there's something happening in the front, so you've got kind of that screensaver rolling on the front of it, but it's doing a lot in the background. So it's it, you can't always see how much it's doing in the background. See, I think that certainly, for me anyway, that was definitely my fear at the start. But when you said it's a software problem, not a hardware problem, I definitely assumed it was a hardware problem. Because normally, software problems, by which I guess you just sort of mean like, in a way, mental health problems, that it's not the physical functioning of the body, broadly, but it's like the way in which your brain is doing stuff, don't tend to manifest themselves in a way in which like you suddenly lose something. But it definitely felt to me like things were suddenly dropping off. I wasn't aware and I wasn't noting like these slow, gradual decline of functions that you had where, oh, you know, you, you're walking just a little bit off today sort of thing. But you don't think too much of it because you might think, oh, I've just got, you know, DOMS or whatever. You know, my legs hurt. I've done a lot of walking or something. Um, yeah, I mean, we would initially, you, you'd just be, you'd eat dinner. And then after dinner, you just now couldn't, you couldn't talk. You couldn't say a word. And that would be it. So in my mind, that's what initially led me to thinking like, oh, it's like a stroke or something like that. Because it's such this, you know, like a blood clot. Something's happened, it's now blocked, and now there is no blood going through. So I think that's sort of a lot. I don't know if other people feel the same, but mine certainly was that the initial panic was that this is a medical emergency. Things are happening like a heart attack. It's it's occurring. Mm. It needs to get sorted. Um yeah, and where you, where we took you to the hospital three or four times, each time you go into the emergency room, and, and in my mind, I'm thinking, she is having a stroke. This is a specific event where there is a problem, um, and you go in, and they just sort of, they look at you, and you're not dying specifically, so, you know, it's like, I can oh, still breathe, so yeah. therefore I'm fine. Oh, she's okay, and I'm like, no, she's she's wearing like a bedpan on her head, you know, it's, <laughs> That's that's I know you don't know her, but that's not normal Zena behaviour. Like <laughs> she should be able to stand up and walk around. And I yeah, I I appreciate hospitals take a lot of people who have a variety of conditions and disorders and things like that and you have no way of knowing, oh, this person could always walk. Yeah, you've got no history, have you? Mm. But you know, you from in my mind I'm like, she could walk yesterday, now she can't walk. You know, she's not She's not been in a blast or a car accident or something. She should be able to Yeah, walk. and it wasn't like... So when I lost the ability to walk, it wasn't... Like you say, it wasn't like a big car accident or anything like that. I'd had bloods taken in the morning because I had a really bad case of laryngitis. I'd driven to work. I'd gone into work. I'd handed in my sick note. Mm. And then I just collapsed. And I had my first non-epileptic attack and that was that and then I couldn't walk from that point on so there was no like big trauma that you might associate with someone maybe losing the ability to walk it was all of a sudden I was upright and the next minute I was on the floor shaking uncontrollably mm. and should, it, should we do the should we do like a full sort of broad timeline yeah you don't have to give full details but I mean a general gist of like your timings and stuff because actually if I had heard this a week in it might have mentally prepared me mm. that other things could be coming along. Mm. Um, and I suppose there's no way of knowing the extent to which you might have FND and how your individual individually yeah, going to feel it. Yeah, and you don't know how long it's been brewing for, if you like. Like, we mm. now think that potentially mine was in the background for quite a number of years, but it just portrayed itself in a different way. Yeah. And then all of a sudden my brain just went, no, I can't anymore, and that was that. So what what bits do you specifically remember? So I remember very clearly driving to work, having been to the doctor, having my sick note in my hand. And why were you in the doctor? Because they were checking... Because I'd had laryngitis for three weeks. Mm. They were trying to put, figure out why I still hadn't got any better. Yeah. So I'd gone in for blood tests for various things to make sure there was nothing more sinister happening. Little did we know, obviously, this was going to happen. Um, and then I was stood outside my boss's office, and next thing I know, I was on the floor 
shaking, just my legs, shaking in the middle of a corridor. Really well planned on my part, in the middle of the way. And then that was me for the next hour or so in various different positions as I thought I could get up and walk and move and get out of the way. So were your legs going the whole time? The whole time you were on the when floor? When I was on the floor, yeah. And then I'd get up and I'd walk and they'd be a bit shaky. Mm. Um, and then I know that my colleagues had phoned my doctor because I was just with them, so they were trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah. Um, and then it happened again, but it happened in a much more dramatic style, if you like. Like, it wasn't... It was a full-body sort of movement. Mm. Um, it looked very much like a fit. And I ended up in my boss's office on the floor on a mattress somehow. And then I was in an ambulance, and I was on my way to hospital. So... Only as we're talking about it now, actually. So you'd had bloods taken. Yeah. So you, they'd drawn you with a needle, mm-hmm. and you don't like needles. No. So in fact, your adrenaline was spiking. Yeah. Was very high then, mm. and actually, when your adrenaline spikes, as we sort of know now, when it calms down five to ten minutes later, that's when your legs go. So that's when you mm. have issues. Oh yeah, it makes so sense. So it's the same in wherever that might happen. Um, your adrenaline is super high, you come down, and then then yeah. the sort of the, the tremors or, or whatever. Um, that makes sense. I, I hadn't put that together, if I'm honest. I'd seen them as separate events. Why is it still two years later <laughs> that we still come over things and I'm like, I didn't realise that you'd had bloods taken before? Yeah, they'd, they'd been a, like a blood rat. They'd just stolen all my blood. They'd taken yeah. like seven vials. So you were weaker anyway. Mm. So they'd taken quite a bit of blood. Yeah. And then your, your response to... To the adrenaline, so they definitely yeah. we've we've do we have noticed that there is that sort of link between when you've got when you're on that come down. Yeah, because then I was, but then I was I couldn't stop having what we now know is a non-epileptic fit, mm. and I was having them continuously. Maybe not in the same whole body, but my legs were still going. The ride into hospital, and then when I was in A and E, having been put in a bed. And things like that. So mm. it was still going on even a couple of hours after that initial oh, okay. so spike. It, so that was, in fact, your your most uh, prolific, longest amount of seizures you've had then. Because you had the, you've never had seizures for any for that length of time that you've been with me. Uh, I had one whilst you were away. I had quite a long one then. Okay. As in, like, what? Like a couple of hours? Mm, it, was a, it was a good long while. Okay. So your initial... Your initial sort of seizures then were pretty substantial. Mm. Subsequent seizures, which you've had sporadically... Have kind of varied. Mm. As we've learnt more about them and how to manage them. They've varied. Okay, so you had those seizures in hospital. You came out of hospital. Well, yeah, they put me into a a ward and I went down to see ENT because they were still going along the laryngitis. No one thought to check my walking. Ears, nose and throat. Okay. They didn't think to check the fact I couldn't walk or anything like that. It didn't bother them. Mm. Um, they put me in a bed I stayed in overnight. And then the next morning I was walking somewhere. And I think it was one of the the cleaners actually turned to me and said, you can't be possibly being discharged. You can't walk. Yeah. And I said, no one actually gave, did anything about my walking. Wasn't it that they said like, oh, well, you've had seizures, so your legs are going to be tired. I think that was the reason I gave. Yeah. No one had t- t- discussed it with me. Yeah, I I, like... I put it aside as it was because I'd had the shakes mm. and therefore my legs were just tired. But no one had said anything and then that was that. I was back home and unable to walk. So one of the things... Properly. Yeah, properly. Let's not... I could walk. It you just was... Get... Yeah. I wasn't walking as I maybe should have been. Yeah, you but... were getting around. Yes, I was still moving. I just wasn't moving as nicely as maybe I had done before. Mm. <laughs> so one of the things that we've... Uh read about and sort of been told about increasingly is that illness can play a part in sort of the the initial trigger so if your body is particularly stressed so if you had the laryngitis as an illness your body was particularly stressed immune Mm -hmm. system working really hard Mm -hmm. then you'd had blood taken so your adrenaline was super high and you were sort of coming down off that Mm -hmm. um that was like sort of a combination of were you anxious at all about work like because obviously you're in work and you're giving a sick note in i suppose that could be a bit yeah it was it was a difficult time at work before i'd got the laryngitis anyway um and i was feeling very stressed from that so potentially then going back into that environment just caused another spike of Mm. anxiety and that then combined with 
the bloods and the fact I was poorly. How were you feeling at the time? Like, I mean, do I don't you re- remember. Okay, so you don't remember, like, no. I don't know, being depressed or having a particularly, like, certain, like a hopeless mindset or anything like that? Just feeling like, ugh. I don't really remember much before I got okay. sick, if I'm honest. <laughs> just the previous 20 odd years, <laughs> a vague blur. They, they are, in a way, yeah. But that's fine, it will come back. Yeah, all the good bits will. Yeah, it'll be fun. The bits when you're in school as a, as a, like a, you know, an eight-year-old and you pee yourself or something and you're like, well, everyone in the world will remember this forever, well, but, it's, but it's just you. Well, now everyone in the world will remember that experience that you had, yes, sweetheart. I That's nothing to do with me. <laughs> I have different experiences. I remember there being a Winnie the Pooh homework sheet and I didn't do it because I just didn't understand it and I just wedged it behind, like... The uh, pull-out drawers. Everyone used to have a drawer in primary school, <laughs> and I just hid it in the back. Like that was my like that was my introduction to when there's a problem. What you need to do is just scrunch <laughs> it up and tuck it behind the cupboard and hope no one ever asks. Which is not the approach you take with FND. Not, no, not not no. now we've learned. No. But I still interesting how I still remember that event where I don't ever remember doing comeback on that. But mentally. That stuck with me is just like a thing, even though no one in the world knows it. Like it's now, like, everyone knows it's it. It's not like yeah, it's not like, <laughs> it's not like anyone cares though. Like even now, it's like a joke, isn't it? Well, yeah, it would be even it's... funnier if the former teacher of yours hears this and goes, "I knew he did something with that sheet." <laughs> I think his name was Mister White. I vaguely remember being a very well, good person. Mister White, if you're listening, Jack is sorry. Good luck. <laughs> you won't remember me. I was just that strawberry blonde child. <laughs> You could have worked harder. So, um, so you were in hospital, and that was what. So the, I always forget. I forget the stages in which you got it broke down. So it was your you walking had the seizures, first. walking first. Okay, so, so seizures then walking. Because you had the seizures, but you never really had continuous seizures after that. No, I did. So not to the, like for hours on end. And not they weren't on, regularly. Not, they were. So I, ha- I was in for the for the first lot. Yeah. I've been driven off the playground in an ambulance. Well done, me. That was quite a moment. Um, Such an attention. <laughs> just really wanted everyone to look at me that day. Um, and then I ended up back in hospital less than a week later, again by ambulance, because I'd gone down to stay with mum and I'd had another full body non-epileptic attack. Um, and it was quite a strong one and they phoned 111 and they, I ended up getting booked in to see the out of hours doctor. And then when he went to examine me the next day, I, because the, he touched like my hip and he was trying to just, he was just checking me over and he touched my hip and that sparked another one. So I then had another one in front of him and that poor doctor looked terrified when that happened, because I don't think he was expecting a simple touch of the hip to set me off into a... Your, your Achilles heel, or your <laughs> Xena's hip. It just tw- Set me off. That's all you needed. Um, so then I ended up continuing to have a couple of those on the ride into the hospital. And on that hosp- on that journey in, the, amb- the paramedic in the ambulance actually was the first person that mentioned Guillain-Barre syndrome. Yeah, something like that, isn't something it? Something like that, um, which is the first time anyone had mentioned anything other than, oh, you've got laryngitis. Um, and then I remember I had a couple when I was in hospital as well. And I got moved around from ward to ward because they didn't know what to do with me. So, I think we're going to keep this as sort of clear as possible then. So, sick, previously sick. Mm-hmm. Had bloods taken, adrenaline spikes, have long several hour seizures, non epileptic seizures, go into hospital. Week later, staying back at home, in. staying at home with mum. Back, back into different hospital. Mm-hmm. First time, sort of anything neurological e came up. Yeah. Um, and the neurologist that was the first time I'd seen a neurologist yes. at that point. And you, I va- you didn't you tell me you didn't like the neurologist. Unfortunately, that neurologist wasn't supportive. He, I think we can be a bit clearer. He did his assessment of me, and because I could outmuscle him, because until that point I'd been in the gym working out regularly, I could outmuscle him. He said basically that it was all in my head and that I was choosing to walk like I'd 
wet myself. And that's definitely been a thing, because I, I think we've spoken about this before, where people have messaged you and you've you've asked me about it. Um, because there seems to be a bit of a, a thing that, I guess technically it is in your head, but that's a, a really important distinction is to say that it doesn't mean it's not real. real. It doesn't mean it's not impactful. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's a choice. Like, mm. And that was very much those doctors' opinion was that yes. I was choosing yeah. to behave in that manner. I was choosing to walk in that way. Um, at that point, it was just my walking and the, the non-epileptic attacks that were happening. I was making a choice for those to happen. I had control and I should have been able to control it better. I was doing it for attention. Which is incredible, really, because if you think about it, if somebody told me to have an epileptic attack... Like, I would feel like I would be acting very poorly. I don't think I could ever do something you couldn't do voluntarily. It as convi- no, you couldn't do it convincingly, no. surely. Um, which is a strange thing, I suppose, for them to say. But that, I suppose the takeaway from that is simply that you drew a uh, quite a negative opinion on doctors in terms of what help they're going to give. Because you've now had two different sort of hospitals and two different environments and they hadn't actually been giving you something. Yeah, and I mean... Like, this neurologist made comments about maybe how I should have an MRI or a CT or something. Mm. But because otherwise I was fit and healthy, he didn't see the need to put me through those tests. Yeah. Had he put me through them, it may have skipped a whole load of steps. But because he chose not to and he chose to word it in a way that told me he didn't give a flying monkeys Mm. and it was all in my head and I was making it up, it... I wanted out of that hospital. Until that point, I was willing to stay if it was going to give me help. But instead, I was just being told that I was making it up. Yeah. And I didn't want to sit there and be told day after day how I was just making it up if they weren't going to do anything. Just try harder to stop doing it yeah. on purpose. And you're just like, well, I'm not. Yeah. And they gave me a walking frame. Yeah. They gave yeah. me a walking frame. I had a massive walking frame. That was the support I got. But we didn't. wasn't later that we heard as well that actually the walking frame... It sort of can facilitate bad movement patterns yeah, because you you simply learn you use this crutch yeah. to to just live with as opposed to managing re-te- yeah teaching yourself to do yeah. it the, the appropriate way. So after okay, so you came out of that hospital, but you still didn't really have anything other than now. No, whatever we named it, did you name it something? I'm sure you wonks, wonks, no winks, winks, winks the walking frame. Winks the walking. It frame. was winks the walking frame, as courtesy of my friend who named it for me. It was winks the walking frame. Took up so much bloody space in the hallway. That's what I, I, I then upgraded to a wheelchair at some point, and that it was even worse. <laughs> so, so a little bit later, you came back, and we stayed back in our house again. Mm-hmm. I think it was about a month. I think a month between your yeah, first probably. your first issue in the school. A week after that, you were in the hospital when you were with your parents. And then a, a, like a month later, so three weeks after that, we had the next issue, didn't we? And that was after a Sunday dinner. Uh, I think we'd just eaten something quite big. Um, and we typically, as we're, as we're exploring, but we're not 100% sure on, um, we'd had pork. We'd started eating quite a bit of pork. Um, and trust me to have forgotten the scientific thing, but there's something in pork that I think can, I don't know what I'm saying, is it induce, induce tiredness or, or, um, there's something in pork that if you have a poor sort of digestive, um, ecosystem, you're much more responsive to sleeping or feeling very tired. So you would eat a big meal. We'd just had a big roast. Um, yeah, it was like, a yummy roast. I remember that. I was very happy. All of our roasts are delicious. Then you had, yeah, you'd had it. And then you were like, but not just like, oh, I'm a bit after dinner, dinner sleepy. You were like really tired. And your language started going. I think I forgot how to say the letter A, didn't I? Yeah, because you'd, we were talking and you just said a word and you didn't say it right. And then this was actually where I had another problem because I was never sure whether I was accidentally reinforcing you losing the ability. So I drew attention to the word for which I can't remember, which you couldn't say properly. And then you focused on it and you couldn't think how to say those sounds. And it gradually just went on from A to across all the sounds. And then I ended up 
it went. But yeah. then I think it came back. So I think that first time it went and then mm. it came back. There was a yeah, there was I would I think there was a week where we were talking and we were draw, I was drawing attention to certain words that you couldn't and say. And we were like testing it. Yeah, and we would yeah, we were trying But it, it hadn't it hadn't like stuck. No. It was still fluid at that point. It wasn't mm. a thing that was now forever. It was uh we'd tested it. I think we'd gone out on one of our drives mm. yes, at night that. and we were testing it there as well. Um and then at some point I don't remember precisely, but at some point there ended up being paramedics in the house. Yeah, so I think... But I don't remember how it ended up being that way. (laughs) I think we'd had another roast dinner. Obviously. Another lot of pork. um, Another heavy meal, feeling fatigued. And then you you started stuttering. And I was, in my mind, I was like, right, stuttering, struggling to speak... I was thinking, well, this is, a, this is an emergency issue because now your brain's not working right. Yeah. Again, you've had these seizures. Your brain isn't working right. This is a different sort of thing. Mm. Like, we're still struggling with the walking anyway, so we've already got that ongoing issue. This is a this is the next step of the condition. Whatever it is, this is a further degradation. Yeah. We need help. So we got the... Call the ambulance out. Um, and, you know, they were very nice, as they, always, as they always are. Got taken back into hospital. Got taken back in. And then, I mean... A couple of shaky leg moments during that. Yeah. And then you were rele- <laughs> we were released that night, in fact. Like two hours later, weren't yeah. we? Yeah. Um, because, obviously, there was nothing... I wasn't in a life-threatening condition. Yeah. Although I couldn't talk. Although you couldn't talk. And, and couldn't, you walk. couldn't walk. And so we were... In my mind, I was thinking, right, this is a stroke. This is something happening. And... They, the doctors would sort of vaguely mention, um, oh, well, you know, maybe there's an MRI or something like that. Never happened. But I do remember the senior the senior doctor coming over, because I don't know if they picked up on how, <laughs> on how annoyed I, I was, where, you know, she felt like the need that she needed to be a bit sort of like firmer with me. But I, I think they like, just didn't... You, I think the problem was is that it was a scary situation. I'd been pulled out yet again by ambulance... I'd had these seizures. I now couldn't talk, and they weren't doing anything. I think you were, you were cross that it felt like no one was listening to your concerns, and that actually it's not there was my concerns. There... It was the it was the objective reality in front of them of somebody losing the ability to walk mm. and talk, and their their response being like, "Go home. No further action required." Yeah. and like I could understand if they had said, "Okay, we'll contact you in the next twenty four hours or so." We'll find you an MRI. It's not mm. an emergency, so don't worry, nothing's going to happen. But here's the following steps. We had nothing. It was another... I think, actually, I ended up having a chest X-ray. Well, I, mem- I remember having chest X-rays. For some reason, they kept having making me do a chest X-ray. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's something they do for heart attacks. I've got no idea. But I know that I had at least two chest X-rays. For some reason, that has stuck in my mind. And I, to be honest, so this bit now is where it gets a little shakier for me. So that's now a month in and we, we're sort of waiting to hear from the, the hospital because I think I was under the impression at that point I was waiting to get told this is when you're getting an MRI or something like that. But it that. just didn't happen. So it just never happened. And I think it was another month later that, like, you started dropping off. Yeah. And I don't, I don't I, you know, I couldn't give you a specific time. I think this was, again, this was like another roast dinner another being tired, and you just started... I can't even... It's not even clear in my mind. I think you just started talking in quite a childish way. Like, not just sort of in a fun, cute way we were doing it one-off. Like, it was It was, it was like, gone. Yeah, you, yeah, it was gone. You were gone. I was elsewhere. Yeah. I had left. <laughs> and I, I, I think... I think when that happened, I must have called... I must have called the doctor again. I must have said, like... Were we in with a neurologist at this point? It's so, really unclear in my head because obviously it was happening too. I've got no real. We hadn't been so, oh, so we were in fact. I think we were waiting for a referral to see a neurologist for you, and this. But that was, wasn't going to be till like August, was yeah, it? Well, this I think it was July. At this point, we're in February. Mm. We're in February, and we're being told the next time you can see a neurologist is June or July time. So we were like thinking five, six months away. Now Zena starts dropping off. And she's just, like, checking out. She's, like, talking like a child all the time. You know, she's struggling to walk still. She can't talk properly. She's essentially now just, you know, she's incapable of looking after herself. And the idea that we would have to wait five months when I see this continuous degradation is seemed ridiculous. So I think we... I, I found a, a private neurologist that 
somebody I knew had seen before. And I think we had to wait a couple days. That mm. was it. A couple days to see to see this doctor. I remember being in the um in the room with him and he kept insisting that I did all the talking. Yes. But I couldn't talk and it really annoyed me <laughs> because I couldn't get the words out and he refused to let you and I think mum came with us. He refused to let he refused to let you guys speak and it was mm. I had to do all the talking. So I'd walked in with my my little Zimmer frame. Mm. Because I was still needing that. And he 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 wanted me to talk and there was me and I was just falling over my words and yeah. I just couldn't get them out. But he wouldn't let you speak, would he? And I got the I thinking back now, I got the impression that he had a pretty good idea because he would he told us about was it him the first one? Yeah, it was. FND? Yeah. He was a guy who first told us about FND and I got the impression which I feel like I would do now if I was in his position. Like he understood. He understood what this is and he mm. knows the capability was there. He mm. knew it was there in your brain. You just couldn't find the ways to access it. Yeah. Like, and like you say now, you were frustrated. But for me, looking on the outside, I looked at you and I just like, you just couldn't. That's all it was. And you weren't that fussed and you were trying to help. You know, you're trying to do I don't the think right it thing. bothered me at the time. No. I think it's only looking back. Like, I think at, the, at, at most, I don't think any of it really bothered me. But then I don't think I was aware enough for it to bother me. Yeah. Which is the, the benefit of me dipping out is that. I don't think I was bothered by much of it because I couldn't remember it and it didn't, I didn't realise what was happening to me. Mm. But we, we have noticed over the, over the whole time that things that are happening or were happening then when you were, as we've called, out of it, mm. so when you were in that sort of childish state... That dissociative state. Yeah, you... Um, that's, uh, you're right. That's a nice word. That, that's that's what I'm it's so called. I'm the childish state. <laughs> like, yeah, in this childish state you're in, this dissociative state... You remember things now that happened during that dissociative Yeah, things state. like, I get weird, like, little flashbacks to it. Yeah. But it's never normally in context. It's just a couple of seconds, and I've got no idea where it comes from, and I've got no idea if it's real or not. But I never would have said, when experiencing it, when you were dissociating, that you would remember what was going on. I'd have said... Not chance. You're just not even here. And and I, I, I don't know how many, how many parallels to draw between, like, Alzheimer's and stuff, but... You get the impression like they just don't know what's going on, and you and I think it almost you feel like it gives you this freedom to be able to be like, well, I'm just not going to put this effort in because you're not going to appreciate it. Um, Cheers! Now I know all your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks well, for telling I, me, sweetheart. I cared for you all the same, <laughs> but I I do remember thinking like so sometimes like when you would ask you'd ask me questions about things, and it's like you knew something was wrong, and you were trying to gain information sometimes. Sometimes, you know, I would answer I would answer you, but 30 seconds later you might ask me the same question again and you might do that 10 times in a row. So sometimes I was like, well, what's the point of me asking? I could just lie. She's not going to remember. She's not retaining the information. But actually, you were retaining the information to a degree. I just couldn't access yeah, it. Yeah, you just couldn't. Your, the dissociative state you were in could not access that information, but it was going into your brain. And we didn't learn, I didn't, I don't think we've cemented that maybe until... Six to nine months afterwards. So it was him that gave... He gave us the diag- the, the, the starts of the diagnosis. Yes, sorry. And he told that. us about the Neurosymptoms website. Yes. For us to look at to try and gain an understanding. But that was kind of it, wasn't it? Yeah. From, hi- in, from, in, from him, our yes. first experience. And I remember coming home and I didn't want to talk to anyone. I think I turned off my phone and I refused to engage with anyone. I think from the bits I can piece together, I think I sat on the sofa and I just... I just sat. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to do anything. And I knew that my friends knew that I'd been to see a doctor because you'd kept them updated. Mm. But I didn't want to engage with them because I was so embarrassed that I couldn't cope. That I didn't want to tell anyone. It was it was a horrible feeling. I felt I felt like a massive failure because it wasn't like a tumour where I had no control over it or something like that. And it sounds horrible, and I don't mean it sound horrible, but it wasn't like a tumour. I hadn't, like, it wasn't something that just happened. It was my brain and it was me, and it, my brain had chosen to switch out. It was my brain's fault, and therefore the blame lied with me. And I felt like a complete and utter failure, and I was so embarrassed that I didn't want to tell anyone. I didn't want to talk to anyone. And I suppose, yeah, you're you're quite right that when you think of like having, if there's something physically wrong, you can point to it, can't you? Like, yeah, you, don't get, you, you blame don't you blame. Oh, it's just the tumor. Yeah, I don't like. I didn't make the tumor. It's not mm. my fault. It's just there. And so when someone says it's a neurological condition, it's a thing in your brain. 
You've got nothing to blame but yourself. Yeah, you can't... And, like, I suppose your initial response is, well, that's terrible, this is my fault. But actually, there's a way that you can see that as, what a great opportunity, because this means I can fix it. I but, think, but when you first hear it, you, you, no, you're not thinking you're about not that. you're not in that state at all, because you're so blindsided. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting, because I never knew, for example, that you could... Rem- I wouldn't have said you could have had that complexity of thought at the time. I, the but I remember the drive to that neurologist, and I was so anxious. I was shouting out each time we saw a tractor. Mm. Every mm. time we drove past a tractor, I'd shout out, Oh, tractor, because I was so nervous. Were you just drawing attention? I was just things? drawing attention to things. Oh, tractor. Oh, cow. Oh, tractor. There's another one. There's another one. I remember doing I just that. I assumed you were excited to be out. <laughs> it could have been that as well, but <laughs> I was just, yes. it was just something that had, but yeah, I was just so embarrassed by it. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to discuss it. I just felt like an utter failure. So I think after that then, so we, so we then got to see. Big Brain Doctor. Yeah. Which I will call, that's his name. He is Big, Big Brain, brain doctor. doctor. to you. So we got referred to an, an a neurologist, because we had seen this other guy, we'd been referred now, like... To a second neurologist. To a second neurologist. Um, but that date was something like... It was a couple of weeks Yeah, it was a couple, away, a couple of weeks. So we had moved from seeing one neurologist in five months' time to a second neurologist. Suddenly now we get him in, like, a couple of weeks sort of thing. And by that time, like, I think I'd started to process what what it was, what was happening... And things like that. And I remember actually one of my friends said that before we'd seen any of these neurologists that her sister had something called conversion disorder. Mm. And I told you about it. And I said, oh, well, my friend said it could be this. It looks very similar. And you got cross. You were cross. Because you were like, you are not going to be that poorly. You are not going to do that. That is not what's happening. And you got cross and you were very much against it. So the conversion disorder is the same as FND. It's just under a different name. Oh, okay. But you were really anti it. You didn't want to hear anything that I had to say about it. You didn't want to hear anything my friend had to say about it. You wanted nothing to do with it. I think maybe that's another reason I found it so difficult to accept that diagnosis when it came in was because I was scared that you weren't going to accept it. Your brain is so smart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can... Yeah, I can understand because I... I'm obviously. I was obviously worried about you having anything serious wrong with you. Um, well, you thought I was going to die, so. Well, exactly. So the fact that now we're, we're moving in a place where you're not. Dying. I think you were. You and Mum were both very happy when we got the diagnosis. Like you, I seem to remember it you was, being really happy in the car, and I remember just sitting. I think I was trying to cry, but I couldn't cry. I remember being very upset about it, mm. but I didn't want to talk about it. But you two were like laughing and joking and. I think it's because you had that sense of relief that it wasn't that I was going to die. Whereas for me, it was just completely earth-shattering for me. And I felt like a complete waste of space. And yet, see, I didn't hold... uh, At no point have I held, like, negative feelings about it. That that I thought, like, any less of you or that you had failed or that you had done anything. I never... That never crossed my mind. I was... Simply came from that place of, I thought you were going to die... Now a doctor has told me... I'm not dying. You're not dying. And I'm just like, brilliant. Whatever it is, we can fix this. Like, mm. it's not for terminal anything. <laughs> we Good can, save. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not terminal or anything like that. We can we can fix this. And so I just thought, brilliant. This is where we're, this is the step we're going to go forward. So Isn't it we, interesting how we both processed it so differently? Yeah. And I didn't know, even until now, actually, that that's how you felt specifically at the time. But I can see why. Especially about the conversion thing as well. Like, I can see why you, that would give you extra anxiety because you're like, oh no, Jack's going to get, if this upsets Jack, like, you don't know, you never know how somebody else yeah. might respond to things. So you thought it's like a worry. Yeah. Um, you know, I, a lot of people were like, oh, well, you know, you won't be staying with her now. I think um, that was the other fear as well, like, that you were just going to up and leave because I was suddenly so broken. But that again, that never crossed my mind either. It seems to cross. Clearly, you're everyone. a good egg. I know. I had, yeah, I got a lot of money invested in it. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, like it never, it never crossed my mind. But I know, like several people yeah. mentioned it to me, saying, you "Oh, should well, leave. you know, really, is it, is this sort of your problem, or is this worth your time?" But we had already spoken about being married at that point. We'd already spoken yeah, but there about was no committing. Yeah, but there was no. We weren't engaged or anything. We weren't in that process, so. 
Like, there was no security in that sense. So, therefore, I think people thought, well, you might as well cut your losses now because well, maybe, this could be her forever. Yeah, maybe that's why people's marriages fail because I think the only reason they're together is because they're in this sort of semi-legal enforced relationship where, for me, I was just like, I've already mentally, I'd already committed. So, the, the ceremony or anything like that, for me, was... Didn't was matter because yeah, it was a was... non-activity. I'd already mentally committed to the decision. Well, I'm very glad you'd already mentally committed to well, me. That's exactly. good to know, even if I'd, people wanted told, you to leave. Yeah, I hadn't <laughs> told you at that point. But, uh, so, yeah, so we, you went to see... Um, big Brain Doctor. Big Brain Doctor. So you're sort of... your your long-term neurologist. Um, and, and he said I had to accept the diagnosis. I think it was him that told me I had to accept it. Which I think is, I would say the, that's the key. He's, I think he said the key thing to it was to accept it as quickly as I could. And I mm. think I fought it. For a while, I think I fought it. Why I don't think I it? could help it because I was obviously dipping, I was gradually getting more and more into this dissociative state. Mm. So the time you actually had with adult me, if you like, as a normal human was significantly less but I think because I was in that I couldn't accept I didn't know what was going on I couldn't mm. accept it because I didn't understand and you started reading a whole load of papers and doing a whole oh, load of research yeah. and I was on Google Scholar that was, was it it was everywhere every related term that was going in and there's a mixed I mean quite frankly there's a mixed bag of information but it's not like any mental health problem and i genuinely think probably most neurological uh conditions sit within mental health if there's nothing if it's software not hardware that it is so down to the individual it's basically impossible to to define it clearly because everyone can experience things yeah. in their own way um but i just remember you read you i think you've printed off papers you are highlighting yeah. stuff you were constantly telling me things. I remember you telling me things, but I would just look at you and I'm like, I've got no idea what you're talking about mm. because I just couldn't comprehend what you were telling me. And I had I had no one to talk to. like So if I was anxious about it and if you were doing poorly, like I had no understanding of what was sinking into your brain. And I no. thought, well, and the no, more and information no one, I share... And the, no one around us had ever been through it. No, no, we didn't so know you, where there was no, other than your friend. Yeah, but there was no one... But even she didn't have the dissociative state. No. So there was no one around us that had had the similar set of, had had some of the symptoms, but not all of them, and therefore it made it difficult to know what to do. Mm. Um, but yeah, he said like the key thing is to accept it and accept it as soon as you can, and that will be helpful for you. And I thought it was a load of tosh. I have to say, <laughs> I thought it was a load of rubbish, and I was like, there's no way me accepting the fact that my brain went a bit weird is going to be the key to me getting better. But now, funnily, that's the first thing I ask people when they reach out to me is, have they accepted it? Have they accepted that for the time being, FND is a part of their life? What the, okay, then usefully for people, what was the thing... Do you remember? What was the thing that's moved you from that stage of going... I think my stubbornness kicked in. What, and you were just like, fine, I, w- I will accept it. I, was, I think I just went, you know what, fine. Like, this is for me right now. Mm. Does not mean... I think we'd seen some sort of video, and I think it was some Australian teacher and you'd it was you or it's mum or someone had seen this video and it was about this Australian teacher who had FND and she couldn't walk and then all yeah, of a, and I then they put her on a treadmill and all of a sudden she could run and that was amazing to watch that suddenly this woman that couldn't walk and she could walk run for, she couldn't walk for a long time no. as well and then she, she could run and she could run properly on this yeah. treadmill and it was something I think because it held with me in the fact that she was a teacher, I was a teacher, she couldn't walk, I couldn't walk. I think something in that helped just push me over and I was like, you know what, she can do it, I can do it. You and then and then my stubbornness kicked in and it was that was it then. I was off and there was not a chance. And that did cause us a few issues actually because although not a stubbornness. Although um although inspiring and fantastic because obviously in that individual case for her she i think she did a lot of running and yeah, so she ran like before. she was very familiar with running and i am much more cardio averse as, as are you um that in my mind that that getting you on the treadmill was the way in which that had worked for her i want to try for you and i felt like there was resistance from you for a long time to just get you on a treadmill 
Like you really hate running. You did not, <laughs> you did not want to get on that treadmill. And in my mind, no. I was like, this will fix your walking. Like, because is... that's what we'd see. Yeah, but I think actually, I think we've got the timeline wrong. I think that was much earlier. Uh, no, so I think, because I ended up in South, Southampton Hospital. So, so we had, we saw, we'd seen this first guy. Mm. Then he referred us to my big brain doctor. Yes. And he got me into another hospital oh. for a week's stay. Ah, okay, well, technically we haven't got to that bit yet. I thought we had. I think, I think I've ended up in the wrong place then because my memory's not great. I think... So I think, I think our... I've ended up in a model somewhere. Well, no, no, so we had, without going back through it, so broadly, you had the issue where you had laryngitis. Yeah. Then you were at school. Yeah. Then you had the seizures. Yeah. Then you went to the, do- the hospital. Yeah. Then you had a month. Mm, or, yeah. Or, uh, sorry, it, no, no. Then you had a week. Yeah. Then you were with your parents, and then you went to a different hospital wait, with your parents. And then I think we saw that first guy at the end of February. Yeah. And then maybe we saw the next. No, uh, no. So you're missing it. Am I? Because I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, then after, um, so school, then when you're with your parents, then back up here, then when you were eating, then we went back to the A and E again. Uh, from there, we went to see a private one. Then we went back into the NHS with Big Brain Doctor, and that's where we left it. After Big Brain Doctor, then you got referred to go back into the other hospital and stay for so two all, weeks. Yeah, it's all just end up in it. The only reason I said that is because, obviously, she tried the running on the treadmill because she was a runner. Mm. That's why we ended up trying hydrotherapy with me and that's because I there. was a swimmer. Yes. And that and that's when I was in that hospital. I think yes. my brain had made a link across but couldn't work out with the timeline between it. Yeah. But, yeah, I think seeing that video of her was the thing that helped me accept the diagnosis. Okay. Was I out of it at that stage? Maybe I hadn't really... You were definitely... I was dipping, but I, maybe def- I wasn't consistent. You were definitely struggling when you were at the other hospital. Was and I? And they let you stay there for two weeks. You were def- Yeah, definitely. Because I don't really remember it, if I'm well, completely honest. that a pretty good indication that you were that struggling. Is, that's there. probably very true. <laughs> so you spent a couple of weeks there. Um, and that, I, I mean, honestly... And to be fair, the doctors and nurses that I came across there in that ward were amazing. They didn't tell me that it was in my head. I hadn't made it up. They, The physio team that I had there were fab because they tried everything with me i was in a swimming pool i was dancing i was bouncing things i was bouncing things on my head i was doing all sorts of things and if you look back through my facebook page you will see some of those early videos of me trying to walk and they are horrid to watch i do not like watching those videos i remember seeing those like they get me every time because it's so different you were dissociating then because that's why you're bouncing balls and stuff are you sure? I thought they were just making me do that to distract me. You dissociated definitely many times before then because you had the um, bedpans and stuff on your head. Why yeah. did I have a bedpan on my head? Well, firstly, the fact that you don't remember is the evidence I need. Are to you suggest. sure I had a bedpan yeah, on my head? we got a photo of it. It's definitely on my phone. Um, <laughs> either way. So you were only ever in the hospital on doctor's mates rates. There was That was not a standard, a lat-like prescribed thing that was then no. desperately trying to find something that because i was help. deteriorating so quickly yes. um and then basically following that there was a period there was basically a wait of i can't remember if it was four to six weeks and that's where you saw the psychologist and that's pretty much where the sort of end of the degradation was and then no the i think starts- it worse what, after you started seeing the psychologist? I don't think I started seeing him because I obviously yeah, went into... This, I, by this point, we're in, we're in May now. Yeah, in May I was in the unit. Had we not seen the psychologist no. before the unit? Oh, I think I had gosh. one appointment with him before the unit and then I went in for my three-week... Yes. ...inpatient yeah. stay. So you saw the psychologist... Because I was terrified that they were going to put me in a straitjacket and I was going to be in a padded room and I wouldn't come out. Would you remember why you saw the psychologist before you went to the Rosa Burden Centre? No. So the specific reason given was because they wanted, because they knew that the psychologist would be a long-term thing. They wanted him to see you prior to the Rosa Burden Centre so he could work out a baseline for you. Oh, So he would understand roughly what somebody who goes into the Rosa Burden Centre starts at and what they leave at, just to understand Oh, okay. So I remember the first time we met my talking man, mm. he, I was terrified. I was in a wheelchair. Yeah. And I sat and I did a word search and I wouldn't look at him. I didn't look at him. I didn't make eye contact with him. I don't think I really even spoke to him. 
because I was terrified this man was going to tell me I was mentally insane and that he'd have to put me in an asylum. That was it. I was terrified. <laughs> so you got the two nicknames for the doctors, haven't you? So you got the big brain doctor. Yeah, and I got talking man. And talking man. So t- the talking man is the psychologist. Yes, yeah, he is my talking man. Yeah. Hi, talking man, if you're listening. <laughs> so uh, yeah, okay. So yes, you were. You were I was. Very shy. I was terrified, and then because I then went to the unit. Well, do you want to? Should we talk about the unit next time as sort of like oh, a, okay. a further stage? Yeah. Just because this is now going on 50 minutes, so... You've bored of the sound of my voice already. Exactly. And what do you think <laughs> everyone else is going to be? Lovely. Um, well, we've got lasagna to eat, haven't we? So okay. that could be something to enjoy. But the Rosenberg Centre by itself is quite a, quite a big story. Yeah. And actually, is, and is part of treatment. So if your treatment has officially started there, that could be a good yeah. divide between... And it could be... Because obviously my memory is a little bit fuzzy, and obviously you were living through it with me at the time, that we have missed bits out. And as we do this, we might uncover bits that we've forgotten about. Mm. Because I think it was very scary for you to watch it happen to me. But equally, I have no real recollection of a good chunk of that time. Yeah. So I think as we do this, we'll uncover more things that might be like, oh, that makes way more sense now, why that happened, and things like that. Like, mm. the, the having the blood test before my first attack, like, that sort of thing. And I guess the more details that we can draw out, if other people have had something similar, the more specific we can be, the more specific they might be like, actually, we also recognise there was a medical thing, yeah. or, some, or some sort of asso- some associated activity. Yeah. Um, but that's probably, yeah, I would say that's probably a good... That's a good line in the sand, because that was, that was the introduction. That was you slowly getting worse... Um, before and really any treatment yeah. properly started, although he had the the other treatment at that hospital for two weeks, that was a bit that was off the cuff. So this was the first proper. Yeah, you have F and D. Here is the treatment that yeah. the NHS is going to provide for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully, that was useful for that first nearly an hour of listening to us drone on about F and D. Yeah, and uh, bedpans on the head. <laughs> and... <laughs> The loss of memory in pork. And, yep. what, and if anyone can remember what the thing is in pork, I feel like it's, it begins with a T. I feel like we've had this conversation so many times. I know. Uh, we've spoken so many times about it. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's been useful. And if anyone has any comments or questions that you want us to try and cover, we will obviously do our best. We aren't medical professionals, but I live with FND and obviously... You have to look after me. Sorry. I endure your company. So we'll do our best to answer what we can and hopefully it's been useful. When do you want to do the next one? Thanks for listening to um, this episode of Talking It Out About. Feel free to reach out to us. We are on Facebook as well or if you want to send us an email it's living with fnd at hotmail.com hopefully we'll see you guys next time mm-hmm.